0: Amen. Join with me in a prayer of supplication to this great God. Father, you are worthy of the praise of every single person on the planet, but there are still so many today who have never even heard of you. Lord, I pray that you would give us here at Milton Community Church a zeal and a passion to spread your glory to the nations, that your heart for your own glory would be our heart for your glory, that we would be a display of your glory in our community and to the ends of the earth. God, thank you for bringing the gospel to us. We heard the gospel and we believed it. Let us not keep the gospel to ourselves. Let us take the gospel to those who have never heard. Let us raise up missionaries and send them out to the nations. God, we thank you for the missionaries that we have sent out from this congregation. Lord, we thank you for Michael and Ginger and their work in Germany among uh, among Central Asian peoples. Lord, we thank you for Alex and Amanda and their work in Central Asia among an unreached people group. Lord, we thank you for sending out workers to the harvest. Lord, we pray that you would raise up many more, that we would be a church that sends out laborers and holds the rope for them, that supports them until your great commission is accomplished. Lord, you have given us your Holy Spirit to empower us for this task. May we live it out in obedience to you for your glory. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. So this morning we'll be in Romans 15. uh, But before we get there, I want to start at Matthew 28. So go ahead and flip in your Bibles to Matthew 28. For the past two weeks, we've been focusing on our mission statement as a church. Why does Milton Community Church exist? We wanted to start the new year answering that question. What is our mission in the world? All right, so we've covered the first part of our mission statement so far. Let's see how we've done. Does anybody know our mission statement? Can we say it together? Ready? Let's see how we do. The mission of Milton Community Church is to? All right. All right, it's in your worship guide. Who's got your worship guide? Go ahead and pull it out. First page where the order of worship is, where the liturgy is, says it right there. Ready? Let's say it together. The mission of Milton Community Church is to love God according to his word, love one another by his grace, and make disciples for his glory. All right, it's pretty short. You should be able to remember that. If you can't remember it, remember the three things on the very front of your worship guide. Love God, love one another, make disciples. All right, so that's what, we, that's what our mission statement is as, as a church. That's why we exist. That's what we do. We have received our marching orders from the Lord Jesus himself, and so through his word, we carry them out by his grace and for his glory. So first, we we talked about this week one, Jerry, let us, we love God according to his word. That's the great commandment. Second, we love one another by his grace. That's the new commandment. We talked about that last week. And third, we make disciples for his glory. That's the Great Commission. So we'll be talking about this last phrase in our mission statement for the next two weeks. So hope for you there in, in Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And Let's see where Jesus gave this Great Commission. Matthew 28, 18 through 20 says, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. All right, we've heard that before, right? The Great Commission, very familiar to us. So let's start with some easy questions. Who gave this command? Jesus, good. So good so, good so far, right? Who is Jesus? Jesus. Son of God, yeah. He's the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh. So, how does Jesus, the Son of God, God made flesh, how does he start this Great Commission? All authority. He he makes a declaration of his authority. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. The risen Christ has all authority. He says this authority was given to him. Who gave it to him? The Father. The Father. For what purpose? For the glory of God. Yeah, you guys nailed it. All right, so listen to how Philippians 2, verses 8 through 11 answers that question. It says, of Jesus being found in human form, and he humbled himself to become obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. So at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow, every knee in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. What's the end result? To the glory of God the Father. Jesus has been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Every knee is going to bow to Jesus. Every knee is going to call him Lord for the glory of God. That is the purpose for which Christ came, for which Christ lived, for which Christ died, and for which Christ rose again for the glory of God. All right, so this is who is giving the command. Jesus, the one with all authority. And what exactly is the specific command of the Great Commission? see if I know they're Greek. What's the active verb in the original Greek? You might know. Make disciples. There it is. Make disciples. So that is the imperative command. Make disciples. And that imperative command is surrounded by three passive verbs, three participles, going, baptizing, teaching. So the command is to make disciples. So Jesus commands his disciples to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? A follower of Jesus, right? A follower of Jesus, a person who bows their knee and commits to Jesus as their master and Lord. All right, we're doing pretty good so far. Keep up with these questions, all right? Next question. Who is this commission given to? I've heard some, some good answers. Who is it, let's, let's ask in the original context, who heard this command? The apostles, his first disciples, right? But is this commission limited just to those first disciples? No. Good, right? Look at the last sentence of the Great Commission. Jesus says, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. So this promise of Jesus' presence goes well beyond the lifetime of those first disciples. It goes to all future disciples. That promise is to us here today. So if the promise is to us, then the commission is also given to us. Who is us, right? Are we just individual Christians off on our own in the world? No, the church. That's right, the church. Remember how the apostles fulfilled the Great Commission, not just through individual evangelism and discipleship. Yes, they went out individually and proclaimed the gospel, but then what happened? All throughout the book of Acts, what do we see happening? Churches were planted, right? Churches were planted. They preached and they gathered churches. So the whole book of Acts, the rest of the New Testament, the rest of church history is not just a bunch of separate individual Christians, but the spread of the local church, planting of local churches, evangelizing and discipling in the context of local churches. And so the spread of the gospel throughout history is the spread of local churches. Local churches like this one are at the center of God's Great Commission plan. All right, so Christ, the one with all authority, granted authority to the church and commissioned the church to go make disciples, baptize them, and teach them all within the context of local churches like this one. So yes, the Great Commission applies to you as an individual believer, but the Great Commission applies to you through your local church, right? The local church is the means through which God will fulfill the Great Commission, churches, how do they fulfill the Great Commission? They fulfill the Great Commission by making disciples who do what? Make disciples who gather together as local churches who do what? Plant more churches, right? So it's a, it's a multiplication effect. Disciples make disciples who make churches who plant more churches. All right, are you with me so far? Does that all make sense? All right, good. Last question about this. Is the Great Commission— a general command to make as many disciples as possible and to plant as many churches as possible? Or is the Great Commission a specific command with a specific goal? What do you think? General or specific? Specific. Specific. All right, well, what is that end goal? How do we know what the end goal is, and how do we know when we've reached it? Who are we to make disciples of? All nations. I lied, that wasn't my last question. I got a lot more questions. All nations. All nations, right? In the Greek, that's panta ta ethne. Panta ta ethne. Ethne, what does that word sound like? Ethnic. Ethnos. Yeah, ethnic groups. That's where we get the word ethnicity from. So this is not just geopolitical nation states. We're to make disciples of all the nations, all the ethnicities, all the people groups of the world. And listen to what Jesus said a few chapters back in Matthew 24. You can turn there if you want. Matthew 24, verse 14. His disciples are asking him, when are you coming back? When is the end of the age? And this is his response, Matthew twenty four fourteen, And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout all the world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. That word for nations there is the same word as Matthew 28, esne. So putting Matthew 28 and Matthew 24 together, how do we know when the Great Commission is accomplished? When Christ comes back, Right? When Christ comes back, that's when the Great Commission is accomplished. Has Christ come back yet? No. When will Christ come back? When the gospel has been proclaimed to every nation, disciples have been made from every nation, and churches have been planted in every nation. All right, the Great Commission is not just a command, a general command to make as many disciples and many churches as possible. It's a specific command. Jesus wants disciples and churches in every people group on the planet. He wants a people from all the peoples. And who is he given the, the responsibility to fulfill this commission? The church. The church. The church is to be a light to the nations. The church is to be a display of God's glory on the earth until the whole earth is filled with the glory of God. We are to declare his glory to the nations. This mission will be accomplished. We heard it, we, we sang about it earlier, right? Christ did not send us alone. He promised to go with us and Christ always fulfills his mission purposes. So listen to these words from Revelation 7, verse 9. After this, I looked and behold a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes with palm branches in their hands, crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The mission will be accomplished. That right there is the ultimate goal of God. His glory known and enjoyed among all the nations. And we see that throughout the entire Bible. God's goal is his own glory. He does all things for his own glory. All that he does, he does to exalt himself until his glory covers the earth as the waters cover the sea right? Just a couple of examples of that. Isaiah 48 11, God says, for my own sake, for my own sake, I do it. How shall my name be profaned? My glory I will not give to another. We also saw this a couple of months ago when we were going through Ephesians 1, right? Right at the beginning, three times in one very long sentence, over and over and over again. Why does God save us? To the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory, to the praise of his glory. Right? God is the only one worthy of praise and glory, and he's worthy of the praise and glory from people, from every people group. And His goal is the spread of the gospel to all nations. So if that's the goal of God, what should our goal be? The same, right? The spread of God's glory among the nations. That should be the goal of every Christian and every local church. If God is zealous for the spread of his glory among the nations, then we too should be zealous for the spread of God's glory among the nations because every church and every Christian has been commanded to take part in God's global goal in the Great Commission. Remember, the means for accomplishing this goal is making disciples and multiplying churches, not just among many people as possible, but among all the nations. So here's here's the bottom line on the Great Commission. If we as individuals and we as a church are not living to spread God's glory among the nations, then we are being disobedient to the Great Commission. This commission applies to all of us, not just a select few who are passionate about missions. This is not just a program in the church that just a few people partake in. All Christians in every local church are commanded to take the gospel to all the nations. But not every person has the same role. So we're going to spend two weeks on uh, this section of our mission statement and discuss the different ways that the Great Commission applies to us and how we can obey it in our church. Right, this week, we're going to focus on how we're called to go and make disciples. And then next week, Jerry will teach us how we are, to, how we are called to make disciples as we are going. Right, many are called to go, and many are called to stay. But we're all called to take Part in the Great Commission and spread God's glory to the nations. We see this pretty clearly in the lives of the Apostle John and the Apostle Paul. We see a difference there. right? During our Christmas Eve service, I led us through the life of the Apostle John and how he understood that just as Jesus was sent by the Father, so too Jesus had sent him. He, we looked at John 20, verse 21, which says, Jesus said to them, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, even so I am sending you. And we looked at how John lived the rest of his life as one sent on mission for the glory of Jesus. But if you look at the life of Paul, he never went where the gospel had not already gone. Church tradition tells us that he lived in Jerusalem, taking care of Mary, the mother of Jesus, until she died. And then he moved and he ministered in the church at Ephesus. From there, he was exiled to the island of Patmos, but he went back to Ephesus and lived there until he died. Let me ask a question. Was, Was John obedient to Christ's command? Yes, yes, he was called to stay. Many are called to stay, to stay where the gospel has already been established and continue to make disciples. We'll talk what that means next week. Jerry will lead us in that. But is everyone called to stay? No, no. How did the gospel get to Ephesus? Who took it there? Paul. Paul took the gospel to Ephesus. Paul was called to go. Many are called to go, to go to where the gospel has not yet gone, to people that have not yet heard, and to make disciples. And here's where this all fits together. Those who are called to stay are called to send those who go. That's what we'll be talking about today, the church's role in going and in sending to the nations. We clearly see this distinction between John and Paul and the one occasion in Scripture that we see that they meet. So turn over to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians 2, we're looking at verses 7 through 10. Here Paul is defending his apostleship and his preaching of the true gospel to the Galatians. And as he does that, he gives an account of the events at the end of Acts 11, where the other apostles accept his apostleship and confirm that he's preaching the true gospel. Here's what he says in verse 7. And so just as Peter was sent to the Jews, Paul was sent to the Gentiles. This is what the Lord called Paul to do in Acts 9 when we see his conversion, right? God says that Paul is a chosen instrument of his to carry his name before the Gentiles. And just as James and Peter and John were called to stay in Jerusalem and to be pillars in the church, Paul was called to go to the nations. We see in Acts 13 that Paul was set apart by the Holy Spirit and sent off by the church at Antioch to be a light to the Gentiles and bring salvation to the ends of the earth. All right, that's where we are so far. Let's, let's go back to Romans 15. This is about 11 years after what we just read, after Paul is sent out from the church at Antioch, about 11 years afterwards. So it's interesting that 11 years later, we find him doing exactly what James and Peter and John had asked him to do, remembering the poor. All right, Paul is writing to the Romans from Corinth, and he tells them he's long for many years to come to them. But first, he, he says, I have to go to Jerusalem to deliver the money that I've collected for the poor in the church there. So Paul is headed to Jerusalem, but is that the final destination he has in mind? No, it's not. It's not. Here in our text this morning we're going to find out what drove Paul in his ministry, what his ultimate purpose in life was. We're going to see how Paul understood his role and the role of others in fulfilling the Great Commission. I want us to see three things this morning in Acts, uh, sorry, in Romans 15, 14-33. First, we're going to see Paul's accomplishment through Christ. Second, we're going to see Paul's ambition for Christ. And third, we're going to see Paul's appeal to the church. So first, Paul's accomplishment through Christ. Look at Romans 15, 17 through 19 with me again. Paul says, In Christ Jesus, then, I have reason to be proud of my work for God. For I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by power of signs and wonder, by power of the Holy Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. Now skip down to verse 22. This is the reason why I've so often been hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions. All right, Paul's right there. I want to show you some maps to help make sense of what we just read. So go ahead and put that first map up. There we go. All right. So Antioch is over there on the far right in the, east, in the eastern part of the map. And the red arrow represents Paul and Barnabas going out from Antioch, taking the gospel to places where it had not yet gone. Right. In all of these cities, they're sharing the gospel and people are coming to faith in Christ and they're gathering together in local churches. And then the blue arrow represents them coming back to Antioch. So that was Paul's first missionary journey into places where the gospel had not yet gone and he was sent out by the church in Antioch. And that sets up the second journey. So go ahead and put up that second map. All right, so a little bit bigger this time, a little bit more area. So this time Paul went north with Silas, and they picked up Timothy along the way. And the first places they went is where Paul had already gone. And then God told them, I want you to go to, to new places where the gospel has not yet gone. And so they went north to Philippi and then Thessalonica and then down to Corinth and then to Athens and then to e- Ephesus. And, and all of these places, people were coming to faith in Christ for the first time, and churches were being started for the first time. And then they went down to Jerusalem and eventually returned to Antioch, which was their sending church, right? Home base for them. And that sets up the stage for his third journey, which we see in our third map. All right, so no new places, right? He leaves Antioch, he goes to all the places he's already been, no new territory. But when he gets to Corinth on this third journey, he sits down and he writes a letter. What letter is that? Romans, right? The one we're reading, right? He writes the words that we just read. All right, so that, that's where he is in, in Corinth. Let's zoom out a little bit and see where Corinth is situated on the map. So go ahead and try that next slide. All right. So Antioch on the, on the far right, Jerusalem down. Uh, on the right, Corinth pretty much in the middle, Rome, and then over on the far left, what's that? Spain. Spain, good geography. It's not labeled. All right, so he's, he's writing... Uh, to, he's in Corinth, he's writing to Rome, and this is what he says, from Jerusalem all the way around to Illyricum, which is right above the Adriatic Sea there, he says, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ, and I no longer have any room for work in these regions. What do you think about that statement? Seems like a pretty outlandish statement, right? Are, Are you serious, Paul? No more room for work? So everybody's Christians in those areas? Was everybody a Christian in those areas? No. Did Paul know that not everybody was a Christian in those areas? Yeah, Paul knew that there were, no, were still work to be done there by local churches, but Paul says there's no more work for me to do there. But gospel, the gospel had been proclaimed, disciples had been made, leaders had been raised up, churches had been planted, and those churches would continue to proclaim the gospel, make more disciples, raise up more leaders, and plant more churches Many were called to stay in those churches, in those regions where the gospel had already gone, and continue the work there. All right, we have whole books of the Bible devoted to that. Think of Timothy, who Paul left to pastor the church at Ephesus, or, or Titus, who Paul left to raise up qualified leaders in the churches in Crete. And let's, let's be clear here. Are Timothy and Titus second-class citizens in the kingdom of God compared to Paul? No. No, Paul did not consider himself to be a higher class with a higher calling, right? Listen to what he said in 1 Corinthians 3, right? Paul had gone to Corinth and preached, and then Apollos followed him up there in Corinth. In 1 Corinthians 3, 6, Paul says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth, right? That's what Paul is saying here in Romans 15. So this point would probably be better titled, Christ's accomplishment through Paul rather than Paul's accomplishment through Christ, because Paul is not boasting in himself here, Right? Paul is boasting in Christ. Christ gets all the glory for accomplishing his mission. And Christ has assigned each follower a different role in the mission. Many are called to stay, but many, like Paul, are called to go. That brings us to our second point, Paul's ambition for Christ. Look at Romans 15, 20 through 21 with me. Paul says, And thus I make it my ambition to preach the gospel, Not where Christ had already been named, lest I build on someone else's foundation, but as it is written, those who have never been told of him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So Paul's ambition, what drove him, right? His mission in life was to preach the gospel where it had not yet gone, to preach Christ to peoples and places where no one had ever heard of him before. That was his goal in life. It was his passion to make Christ known among all the peoples. Where did that ambition come from? In the life of Paul, right. it did not come from the mind of Paul. Paul didn't make this up himself. It didn't even come from the personal experience of Paul, right? We would, might imagine Paul to at least mention how the Lord appeared to him on the road to Damascus and called him to go to the Gentiles. But he, he doesn't do that here. What does he do in Romans 15? He quotes Scripture. He quotes scripture, he says, I have this ambition, I'm controlled with a passion to preach where Christ has not been named, because Isaiah 52, 15 says, those who have never told of him will see, and those who have never heard of him will understand. So keep your place here in Romans 15, and I want to take you to Isaiah 52. So go ahead and turn with me to Isaiah 52. And many of you are familiar with Isaiah 52 and 53, right? This is the suffering servant prophecy. This is the prophecy that describes in stunning detail the the life and the trial and the death and the burial of Jesus. But it was written 700 years before the crucifixion of Jesus. And even more impressive than that, 300 years before crucifixion was even invented. So look with me at Isaiah 52, and let's read verses 13 through 14. Behold, my servant shall act wisely, He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted, as many were astonished at you. His appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form, beyond that of the children of mankind. Let's pause right there. The Messiah would accomplish his mission. He acts wisely. That's what that phrase means. He would accomplish his mission. As Jesus was lifted up from the ground onto a cross in shame, his face bloodied and beaten beyond recognition, he was actually lifted up to be exalted. For this is the purpose for which Christ came. We don't have time to to read it all, but I'm just going to tell you, Isaiah goes on to prophesy in Isaiah 53, that he would be pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was like a lamb that was led to the slaughter. It was the will of the Lord to crush him because he was an offering for our guilt. He was cut out from the land of the living. He was stricken for the transgression of the people for by his wounds we are healed. He bore the sin of the many. He was numbered with the transgressors for our sake. He poured out his soul to death and by his death many were accounted righteous as Brandon read earlier. And that was not just the lost sheep of Israel, but sheep from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. That's what Jesus said he was going to do in John 10. I lay down my life for the sheep and not just the lost sheep of Israel. There are many sheep who are not of this fold. I must go get them also. Sheep from every tribe, every tongue, every people, every nation. Let's finish with Isaiah 52, 15. This is what Paul quoted. So he shall sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them, they see. That which is not, they have not yet heard, they understand. So Isaiah says that Jesus will sprinkle the nations, just as the Israelites needed a blood sacrifice sprinkled on the mercy seat to receive atonement for sin, so Jesus, by his blood, provides atonement for all the people groups on the face of the earth. Jesus is the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. This right here, this is where Paul got his ambition from, from Scripture, right? Paul's ambition matched God's ambition. God's ambition is for the nations. God has always had a plan for the nations. Flip over a few pages to Isaiah 49. Isaiah 49, verse 6. God says this to the Messiah, It is too light a thing that you should be my servant to raise up the tribes of Jacob and to bring back the preserved of Israel. I will make you. As a light for the nations, that my salvation may reach the ends of the earth. Here we see an inner Trinitarian conversation. God the Father says to God the Son, It's too small a thing for you to just save the Jews. I'm not sending you in the world just for that. That's too small. I'll do that, but I'm going to do more than that. I'm going to send you to the world to be a light to all the nations, that I may bring my salvation, my glory, my fame, my name to the ends of the earth. That's why Jesus was sent. In the same way, Jesus sends his followers. Remember John 17, Jesus prays, As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. John 20, he tells his disciples, As the Father sent me, even so I am sending you. And so Paul is not out of line when he reads that statement from Isaiah 49.6, and he applies it to himself in Acts 13.47. In that same chapter that the church at Antioch sent Paul, out to, Paul and Barnabas out, Paul says, For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. Paul's ambition is big, it's bold. He's saying, just as it was too small for Jesus only to come for the Jews, so too it is too small for us to stay where the gospel has already gone. We must go to the places where Christ has not been named. In the very next verse, that was Acts 13, 47, Acts 13, 48. When the Gentiles heard this, they rejoiced. And it says, and as many as were appointed to eternal life believed. Jesus has purchased people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and it's our job to go and get them, to go and tell them the good news of the gospel. Paul is describing here the call of a frontier missionary, right? That's what, that's what Paul was. Paul was saying that the Lord has called me to this. The Lord has called Barnabas to this. But it wasn't just for him and Barnabas, right? This call was for the whole church to participate in. The whole church is to be a light to the nations. And no, that does not mean that everyone is called to be a missionary. Not everyone is set apart by the Holy Spirit, sent out by a church to cross geographic, cultural, and linguistic barriers to make disciples and multiply churches among the unreached peoples and places. That's a missionary. Not everybody's called to do that. But everybody is called to participate in that mission. And you don't need a Damascus Road experience to tell you that. Right? That's, that's why Paul doesn't mention that, I think. Right? So often we're waiting on that Damascus Road appearance. We ask God, what do you want me to do with my life? What's your goal for me, right? What am I supposed to do in this world? Just give me a sign. Speak to me. Tell me what you want me to do. God's told you what he wants you to do. God has told you what he wants you to do. Fulfill the great commission. Take part in getting the gospel to the nations. That's what exactly what Paul asked the church in Rome to do. So that brings us to our third point. Paul's appeal to the church. Paul's appeal to the church. Flip back to Romans 15 with me. Romans 15, and let's start with verse 14. Paul says, I myself am satisfied about you, my brothers, that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge and able to instruct one another. But on some points I have written you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God, so that the offering of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. And And then skip down to verse 22. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you, because he was fulfilling his ambition to preach Christ who had not been named. Verse 23, but now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed to come to you for many years, I hope to see you in passing as I go to Spain, and to be helped on my journey there by you, once I've enjoyed your company for a while. And then skip down to verse 28. When therefore I've completed this and have delivered to them what has been collected, I will leave for Spain by way of you. I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. I appeal to you, brothers, by our Lord Jesus Christ and by the love of the Spirit, to strive together with me in your prayers to God on my behalf, that I may be delivered from the unbelievers in Judea, and that my service for Jerusalem may be acceptable to the saints, so that by God's will I may come to you with joy and be refreshed in your company. May the God of peace be with you all. Amen. So here we get to the end of the book of Romans, this magnificent book, probably the favorite book of a lot of people in this room. And what's been the whole point of the book of Romans? Why did Paul write Romans? Was it to give them a masterful treatise on the gospel? He did that. Was it to instruct them in sound doctrine? He did that. Was it to go so deep in theology that 2,000 years later, seminary students will still be arguing about what it means? He did that too. But that was not his main objective. He said in verse 14 that he was satisfied about them because they were full of goodness, filled with knowledge and able to instruct one another. They didn't necessarily need his instruction. They had good, faithful, solid Bible teachers. So why did Paul write to them? Paul wants the Romans to join him on mission. When you think about it, the whole book of Romans is basically just a big missionary support letter. Let's pull that map back up. When we were just on. All right, so uh, go back one, maybe. Sorry, okay, you're, you're right. Go back to the other one. Thank you. My bad. All right, so Paul is in Corinth, right? He's writing to Rome, and he says, I'm going to Jerusalem to take an offering for the saints there, but then I want to come to you. So why did he want to go to Rome? Right? Paul says it's time to move on to where the gospel has not yet gone, where they've not yet heard. That's why I'm writing a letter to you, because I need, to get, I need you to help me get the gospel to Spain. Right? So that, that makes sense, right? He's going to be in Jerusalem. Antioch's normal home base, but that doesn't make sense to go that way. And so he wants to go to Rome to be helped by Rome to get to Spain. Rome is the best place to help him get to Spain. Paul's ambition is to get the gospel where the gospel has not yet gone, and he wants the Romans to share that ambition with him. All right, let's pause right here and ask the question of that ambition, right? Is that a good ambition? Maybe we can say, yeah, it is. But how is that ambition usually viewed in the world and in the church? Is it viewed as a good ambition by the world? No. No. No, first, let's look at how the world views this ambition. On August 5th, 2020, Brooks Buzer, who leads a missionary training organization called Radius International, tweeted a photo of a, of a, of a, uh, from a plane of a distant jungle in Papua New Guinea. And he said, Tomorrow night, deep in the mountains of Papua New Guinea, after five months of teaching that started in Genesis 1-1, the gospel we presented to the Amdu people for the very first time in their known history. Please be praying for the missionary team. All right, it's, it's very rare that tweets in the Christian Twitter sphere go out to uh, the the viral world, right? This one, the world got a hold of. It had 776 retweets, 4,889 likes, and 10,000, over 10,000 replies. So anybody use Twitter in here? Do you you know what that's called? That's called getting ratioed. Getting ratioed. So if you don't know what getting ratioed means, that means when you have way more replies than you do likes and retweets. All right? People show likes and retweets when they like what you say, and they reply to you, and they think what you say is ridiculous right? or, or stupid. Right? It's very rare that this, this, this happens. But this, this happens to, to Brooks, and, and those ten, over 10,000 replies are filled with vulgarity and profanities and insults and accusations of colonization. Right? This sort of ambition to take the message of Jesus where it has never gone before makes absolutely no sense to the world. It's even seen as, as destructive and hateful. So that's how the, the world feels about that ambition. How about the church? How about the church? Did the church hopefully have a, a better reaction than that? Right? We wouldn't respond that way. But how, how does the church typically respond to this ambition to take the gospel where it has not yet gone? right? Two responses, pretty typical. First response is to say something like this. Why do we need to go there when there's so much work to be done here? You heard that before? You said that before? You thought that before? Right? I can hear someone saying that to Paul, right? Paul, you're writing this letter from Corinth. Look around in Corinth. You should know we're pretty messed up, right? We need your help here in Corinth. Stay here. Help us make disciples. Plant more churches. He's writing to the letter, letter to the Romans. I can hear the Romans saying, Paul, we need your help here. There are so many lost people. And think of how influential a city this is. We could make so many disciples and plant so many churches and the emperor lives here. What if the emperor heard of the gospel and believed? All right, similar things are, are said today, right? Why do we spend so much time? Why do we spend so much money? Why do we spend so much effort? Why do we risk our safety to take the gospel to those places when there's so many who need it here? And often this question Is accompanied by a misunderstanding of the word unreached. So people say, well there are unreached people in my neighborhood or my school or my workplace. Those people are not unreached. Why not? Yeah, because they're in your school, in your neighborhood, in your workplace. They have access to the gospel. You're it, right? Unreached does not just mean lost. Yes, people without Christ in Alpharetta are just as lost as people without Christ in Afghanistan. The difference is access to the gospel. People in reached areas have access to the gospel. There are Christians there who can tell them. There are churches there where they can go and hear the gospel. In unreached places, there are no Christians. There are no churches. There are no missionaries. And so they will likely be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Which leads to the second response, right? What happens to those people when they die? What happens to people who have never heard of the gospel when they die? Usually that that question is phrased like this. What happens to the innocent man in the jungle in Africa who dies without ever hearing the gospel? What's the answer to that question? He goes to heaven. Undoubtedly. Why? How did I phrase it? Because he's innocent. Because he's innocent. The problem is, that man doesn't exist. Right? Paul makes it abundantly clear in Romans 1 through 3, all stand guilty, condemned before God. God has revealed himself in the world and all have rejected the true God and stand condemned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. That's the bad news, but the good news is that God has made a way of salvation through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And that salvation is received by faith. That's what Romans 3 through 8 is all about. That's the good news. But as Carl Henry said, the gospel is only good news if it gets there in time. So then we get to Romans 10. Go to Romans 10 with me. Romans 10, verse 13. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let me, let me stop right there. If you're here today and you don't know the Lord, this promise applies to you right here, right now. If you call upon the name of the Lord, you will be saved. If you repent from your sins and turn in faith to Jesus Christ, you will be saved. You've heard the gospel today. You have the opportunity to be saved. Call out to him. Believe. What about those who never hear? This is what Paul goes on to address. Verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they've never not believed? And how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach good news. The church is God's plan A for getting the gospel to the nations. There is no plan B. Those who don't hear will die in their sins and be condemned. There's no other way for them to be saved other than to hear the gospel and believe it. Charles Spurgeon once said, Someone asked, will the heathen who never heard the gospel be saved? Here's his response. It is more a question with me whether we, who have the gospel and fail to give it to those who have not heard, can be saved. Romans is known for deep theology. I love deep theology. We at Milton Community Church love deep theology. But if that theology does not cause you to be filled with a zeal for the glory of God and to take or send the gospel to people who have never heard, Spurgeon says you may not be converted. The Great Commission demands that we all participate in making disciples of all nations for his glory. And as we saw earlier, this mission will be accomplished. Revelation 7, 9 through 10, people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation will be around the throne worshiping Christ. And Paul planned to take the gospel to them, to those who had never heard. Paul's hope was that the church in Rome would send him to take the gospel to those who have never heard. So let's put that map back on the screen, that same map. So this map, you can see a little bit, it shows a little bit of of yellow, where Christians were known at the beginning of Paul's ministry, the beginning of Paul's journey. So a little bit about Rome, a little bit about Jerusalem, up to Antioch, right? There's Christians there. Now I'll go to the, the next map. So see, the yellow has spread. This is where uh, the, the gospel has gone, where Christians were known by the end of Paul's three missionary journeys. Now, all of that yellow is not all due to Paul, but Paul obeyed the commission of Christ, and he went and made disciples of the nations. He went to the gospel where the gospel had not gone. Paul had significant influence on that map. And Paul's plan was to continue and go to Spain, but he had to go to to Jerusalem first. And so he goes to Jerusalem just as he planned, but is he able to go to Spain? You know what happens in Jerusalem? He gets arrested there. And he does end up going to Rome, but a different way than he planned, he goes in chains. And after that, we're not sure what happened. Some scholars think that he was released from prison in Rome and was able to go to Spain. Others say he he never left Rome, and we know eventually he was beheaded there in Rome. If that's the case, does that mean he failed? Let me show you one more map. So this map is two short centuries after Paul's death. Again, Paul was not the only one taking the gospel to the nations. We don't know the names of most of the people who were taking the gospel to the nations. But Paul was obedient. Paul's ambition was to preach the gospel where it had not yet gone. And the mission was not up to Paul, right? The mission was up to God. God will be exalted among all the nations. God will be exalted to the ends of the earth. And he invites us to be a part of it. And so what's your role going to be? What's your role going to be? He works the same way today that he did then. You have, you have three options. Either you're a goer, you're a sender, or you're disobedient. Those are the only three options available to you today. And so that was the, the spread of Christianity in the, by 325 AD. I want to show you one more map. This is the progress of the gospel today. Progress of the gospel today. And so the green is places where the church has gone and the church is established. The gospel has gone, the church is established. The yellow is places where the gospel has gone, but the church is either in their early formative stages or they're, they've, they're post-Christian, in their nominal stages, so the church is weak. The gospel's gone there, but the church is weak. The red represents unreached peoples and places where the gospel has not yet gone. Remember, we're not just looking at a bunch of nations that have borders on the map. We're talking about people groups. The International Mission Board recognizes 12,031 people groups in the world, representing the 8 billion people in the world today. Now, they say of those 12,016 people groups, 7,228 of those people groups are still considered unreached. Unreached. That means less than 2% evangelical. The church in that people group is not strong enough to reach the people group by themselves. They need outside help. That means that the 4.7 billion people making up those 7,228 people groups have little to no access to the gospel. They would likely be born, live their entire lives, and die without ever hearing the gospel of Jesus Christ. Even worse than that, of those 7,223 people groups, 3,180 of those people groups are considered unengaged. That means there are no churches, no missionaries, no Christians actively trying to get the gospel to them. So let me ask you again. What has God called you to be? A sender or a goer? Those are your two options. The other option is disobedient. I pray that God uses his word today to call many to Go. That God would place in your heart an ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not been named. God may call some of you as traditional missionaries, but God may also call some of you to leverage your current careers as a doctor or a nurse or an IT professional or a teacher, whatever it is that you do, among the nations for the sake of God's glory among those who have never heard. God may be calling some of you to spend your retirement years, right? The very last years of your life before you stand before King Jesus to make his name famous among the nations. Or maybe God is calling some of you students to spend a gap year before you go to college among the nations, making the gospel known to those who have never heard. Or maybe you can enroll in an international university where you study the same thing you would study here, but you do it in a place that needs the gospel. Maybe, as I look around, God is placing in the hearts of some of these children gathered here today a heart for the nations. And one day, many years from now, you will go somewhere far away from home, to take the message of Jesus to a people for the very first time in their history. I pray that God, that God does that, that God raises up many goers. But I'm also praying that God uses his word today to call many to stay and to take their responsibility to send. That God would call many people who would pray fervently for God to raise up laborers for the harvest. Who would pray without ceasing for the laborers who are currently serving on the field who would pray that God would send even maybe their own children, maybe their own grandchildren, to relentlessly encourage and uphold those, go- those who have gone, who give sacrificially so that the gospel can go where it's never gone before, where disciples can be made and churches can be planted and strengthened. I'm praying for, for senders who will pray and give and go, that even though they may stay, they will view their lives like John, as one sent on mission by Jesus. That as they are going throughout their lives, that they would make disciples. That they would meet internationals here. God is bringing the nations here. That you would view your life as one sent by Jesus to fulfill the Great Commission. And that you would go even short-term. That you would take advantage of short-term mission trips where you can make the gospel known in these places and partner with long-term workers to assist them and encourage them in their long-term work. Many are called to stay. Many are called to go. We are all called to make disciples for his glory. Now, as I ask you that question, are you called to stay or is you called to go, it's only fair that I answer that question for myself. Has God called me and my family to be a sender or to be a goer? Well, if I've done my job well, my answer hopefully will not surprise anyone. God has called me and my wife and our four children to be goers. Hopefully, that's not a shock to anybody, right? Hopefully, at least you may have saw that coming if you hadn't heard about it already. But if it is a shock to you, I'm, I'm sorry, right? I'm sorry. It's been called the worst-kept secret in our church. But really, we haven't tried to keep that a secret. Ever since we started the application process about a year ago, we've been trying to let people know so they can pray for us and that as we prepare to be goers, that you all could prepare to be senders. Now, this is the first public official announcement, even though it might have been leaked a few times from the pulpit already. Because now it's finally official. We're finished with the application process and we've been approved and job matched and medically cleared and we're we're ready to go. So thank you to all of you who are praying to that end. And so even though this has been been coming for a while and you hear me talk about missions all the time, I still want to take a few moments to explain further how the Lord brought us to this place. I'm going to steal straight from Paul's outline from Romans 15 to tell my own story. Real quickly, accomplishment, ambition, and appeal. First, accomplishment. What has Christ accomplished in me and through me in the last five and a half years? Five and a half years ago, I was a mere 26-year-old, had been married less than four years. We had an 18-month-old son, and Jackie was six months pregnant. The Lord has accomplished so much in our lives since then. In just a few days, I'll be 32 years old. This year, we'll celebrate our 10-year anniversary, and since we've been here, we've welcomed three children into the world, Judah who's five, Naomi, who is two, and Eli, who is three months old. Thank you for allowing me to raise my family here. You have been a blessing to us. Our kids have had, from the get-go, spiritual grandparents and aunts and uncles and brothers and sisters. So thank you for loving my family so well. Thank you for loving me so well. Five and a half years ago, 26-year-old kids coming straight out of seminary, had a lot to learn, a lot of growing up to do, which I still do, but thank you, for being patient with me, for praying for me, for sharpening me, for encouraging me, and for shaping me into the man I am today. I pray that God has used my time here to glorify him, edify the body, and build up the church. Like Paul, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me. Anything good or helpful I have done, it has all been of grace. As I look around Milton Community Church today, I'm proud of this body. I'm thankful for any of the small, insufficient ways that God has used me to produce any sort of lasting spiritual fruit. We've seen a lot in five and a half years. I have been inadequate for all of it, but the Lord has been faithful, and he has provided, and he has pruned, and he has built Milton Community Church into the church it is today. And when I look at what he has done from from all all sorts of things, from from bringing in young families and children into the life of the church, from merging two congregations into one new congregation that has a a, a healthy foundation, has a healthy structure and healthy beliefs and healthy practices, I'm amazed and I'm so grateful for any small part I got to play. And and I'm so excited for the future of Milton Community Church. I can spend a lot of time celebrating all that Christ has done in the last five and a half years, but I want to move to ambition. Christ has given us an ambition to take his gospel where it has not yet gone and to see healthy churches planted and strengthened there. So that, that call to missions started when I, was, when I was young, going on mission trips through this local church. It was confirmed when, on a sermon from Revelation 5, where the preacher said that Christ has purchased people from every tribe and tongue and people and nation, and it's our job to go and get them. It was confirmed in a summer in West Africa, which, I, which this church sent me to go on, so in seminary, we, we enrolled, when we went to seminary, we enrolled in the what's called the 2 plus 3 program, the International Church Planning Program. And our plan was to go overseas as soon as we finished seminary. But an opportunity came, came up to come back here to serve the church that I had grown up in, to serve the church that had raised me. And we prayed about it, and the Lord confirmed at every step that this is where we were going to be, that this is where he was calling us. I'm so thankful the Lord called us to come back here for a season. If I'm going to go plant local churches, right, I needed to know what a local church was and how a local church functioned. But the plan, which I I said to you, uh, you may not remember, but I said the plan is still to go overseas at some point. So that the the Sunday I was voted in, I wanted to come back to my home church and the church that raised me. And I wanted to help the vision that, that Jerry had set before it and help it become a healthy and strong and vibrant church that would eventually send us out to the nations. And I believe that's exactly what the Lord has done. And that's been completed, I think, with the formation of Milton Community Church. So I can say with Paul that I believe that I fulfilled the ministry the Lord has for me here. And there's no more work for me to do here. That may sound crazy. You may say, you may look around and say, Luke, you see all these empty pews? There's tons of work to be done here. That's true. There's tons of work to be done here. That's what you're for, right? That's what you're for. You are here to do the work, to carry on the work. And I, I hope, it's my hope that you would send me. And hold the ropes for us as we go, because it's our ambition to preach the gospel where Christ has not yet been named. So where are we going? I'm going to be vague here, due to the live stream. We're being sent to West Africa. If you put that together, you'll you'll know exactly where that is. The country is on the red part of that map that was up there. If you want to see it again, on the very western tip of Africa, the country is 95% Muslim. The other 5% is made up of Catholics and animists, and it's less than 0.2% evangelical. That's the country, and the majority people group is over 99.5% Muslim and less than 0.00% evangelical. They're in desperate need of the gospel. We're going to go, and we're going to live in the capital city. We're going to make disciples. We're going to work to see churches planted and strengthened, and it'll be my job to provide theological training for the pastors and church leaders that are spread out all across the country. Now, I want to share how this door to West Africa opened. This is a really cool story. Over a decade ago, people from what was in Crabapple got together and prayed, and they said, we want to adopt an unreached people group. We're going to pray for that people group, and we're going to send short-term teams to that people group multiple times a year. I went on my first first short-term team there in 2011. That's where I spent the summer in 2012, and I was able to go back several other times with Jackie. And the Lord gave Jackie and I both a heart for this people group and for this country, and it's always been in the back of our minds as we are trying to discern the Lord's call for where he was sending us. And the more we prayed about it, the more the Lord confirmed that's exactly where he was sending us. I can tell you story after story of little graces of God, his kind providences that confirmed that calling to us. So that's our ambition, to go where this church has already been working for over a decade and to plant our lives there and to spread the gospel and to see healthy churches planted and spread. So here's our appeal. Send us. Send us. You are our sending church. You have raised us up. You have trained us. You have confirmed our calling. It's by your authority that we are being sent out. Now, yes, we're going through a missionary sending organization But did Christ give the Great Commission to missionary sending organizations? No, he gave them to the local church. So you are responsible to raise up and send out missionaries, and I pray that you do that for me. Here's our timeline. We're leading this short-term trip next week. We'll be appointed to service in Richmond on February 1st. The MCC commissioning service will be Sunday, April 2nd, Palm Sunday, 5 p.m. Please be back there for that as you send us out. And then we'll go up to Richmond for training in April and May. And then, Lord willing, be deployed to West Africa in June. All right, you are the ones sending us. But that, that journey, that relationship does not end once we are sent, right? Once we're out of here, see you later, right? That's, that's, don't do that. We need you. Second appeal, hold the ropes for us. Continue to support us. That phrase comes from William Carey, the father of modern missions. He said, I will go and I will preach the gospel to the heathen in India. I will descend into the pit, but I need you Andrew Fuller, who's staying in Great Britain, I need you to hold the ropes for me. We need you to hold the ropes for us as we go. We need your prayers. As we prepare, as we go to training, as we pack up all our stuff, as we land in a new country and culture and learn a new language, as we face a task that is impossible by human means, prayer shows that we're completely dependent on God and that he will accomplish his mission. Second, give. Continue giving through the local church. 10% of all of your offerings go to support the cooperative program, which supports missionaries through the IMB. Continue giving to Lottie Moon. Thank you for your generosity in giving to Lottie Moon. This year, over 31,000 given. Praise the Lord. Every penny of that goes to support missionaries on the field, taking the gospel to the nations. So pray, give, and go. Right, go on a short-term trip. Join us in our work. That's one of the big purposes of the the trip we're about to take, to be introduced to the work there and for them to be able to know how they can support us and, and to help us in the work there. And lastly, please don't forget about us, right? Keep the communication lines open. Encourage us, exhort us, hold us accountable. Just as Paul needed the Romans, we need you. We're asking you to join us in the work God has called us to in making disciples for his glory among all the nations. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are a God who loves your own glory, who will accomplish your mission, who has saved us and invited us to be a part of your mission. Lord, thank you for the call that you've placed on my life. Thank you for the call that you've placed on every Christian's life and on this church's life to take part in the Great Commission to take the gospel to the nations. Lord, today you are calling many to stay and be passionate senders. And Lord, I pray that today you are calling many to rise up and go take the gospel where it's not yet gone. the journey will be difficult. We will suffer as Paul suffered, but we know that Christ is our hope in life and in death, and that is the message we proclaim to all the nations. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.